In the world of recruiting, some people have seen it all. They build recruiting teams from the ground up, hired hundreds of people in the best companies in the world, develop their expertise year after year. I'm Robin Choi, and I'm on a mission to collect their learnings. These are their stories. Hello, everybody. Hello, Samily. Hello, hello. I'm very happy to have you here today on The Modern Recruiter. We did something very, um, that's an experiment. We already talked for about an hour on your podcast called The Tan Buzz. And we're going to be uh, doing two different episodes. They'll be somehow connected between each other. So this episode that we're going to be doing today will be about your own experience creating your agency called Tan B. And you agreed to share a lot of numbers, the recipe behind it. And that's my, I've had a few of these episodes recently. I learned a ton looking at the numbers, the playbooks behind. So that's going to be The Modern Recruiter. And on your podcast, you interviewed me and I was the guest. And we talked a lot about how to be more productive in recruiting, specifically when you go after passive candidates, how do you make them reply? How do you nurture relationships? Best practices about outbound. So this Two episodes kind of come together. We add the link to your podcast called, again, Town Buzz in the show notes. And I also encourage everybody listening to that episode to go leave good reviews on your podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts because that really helps. And I hope you already did it for The Modern Recruiter. If you didn't, now is the time to do it. So go, uh, go leave reviews on The Modern Recruiter and on Town Buzz. All right, that's for the sales speech and the introduction. And today we're going to be talking about your own experience as an entrepreneur and how you created Town B. Can you tell us a bit more about yourself, your background, especially in starting mostly in sales and the situation that you're in, your, your state today with Town B? Yeah, sure. So I think most recruitment agency founders, they do have a strong background in recruitment or employer branding. And... I don't. So I, I've done basically all my career in sales and marketing, uh, leading sales teams. And how we ended up then kind of finding a recruitment agency is that my co-founders, they do have background in recruitment and, and employer branding. But basically, I'm the, I'm the guy without any experience from recruitment. But for me, it's, you know, always been kind of easy to understand recruitment and employer branding, because for me, they are a lot similar to, you know, sales and marketing and what is happening over there. And we've been now running Talent for 17 months. So still quite a, quite a young, young company, three founders, three employees. So now a total of six people and also hiring to our team right now. So hopefully soon a bit, bit bigger as well. Cool. And how is the company operated? You're from Finland. Where are you right now? Yeah. So the company is kind of Finnish company. We mainly work in Nordics. Most of our customers are from there, but also, you know, we have customers, for example, from Netherlands, but all the customers are within Europe. And I think that's a, maybe good to explain here as well, because I think, you know, part of the listeners might be from, for example, North America. Good thing to understand regarding when we are talking about salaries or fees. I feel like if we look at, for example, recruiter salary in Europe versus North America, it's around two times more over there. You know, same goes for placement fees and all that. So I think that's an interesting information. But yeah, we are, you know, remote first. We don't have an office. Basically, everyone can work wherever ever they want. But most of the team is in Helsinki, Finland. Me and my co-founder, Sara, we are in Las Palmas in Canary Islands right now. So enjoying the warm weather in the winter times. 
Nice. I've had a lot of people recently or conversations. Recruiting agencies are still allowed to have that lifestyle of very distributed work, distributed teams. And it's very common to have recruiting agencies that are very distributed because it's all about the placements and your numbers. So there is no, as opposed to other companies where it's harder to measure the output here, like in recruiting agency, I feel like if you hit your numbers, I don't care where you are, as long as your clients are happy and they hire through you and that's all that matters and you are productive and you are efficient. So that's definitely one of the big benefits. In the US, the return to office has been slower, though significant as well. In Europe, it has been much more intense. I know that in France, it's now back to, I wouldn't say the same as pre-COVID, but close to it. But then again, recruiting agencies have this, like the pure respect of, I don't care where you are, because as long as you hit your numbers and your clients are happy, then you have a place here. And same for the hours worked. You need to have some structure. You probably need to work at the same time as your clients so you can touch base with them. And that's, that's the candidates as well. So you cannot be on a totally different time zone. But like you get a lot of liberty from this. How do you look at work hours at Talent B? How does this work? And what kind of structure do you have to make it work as a distributed team? Yeah, so regarding work hours, at the same time, we do look at those. And then at the same time, we don't. Like what, what I say to our team all the time, like, I don't care. And what, when I say I don't care, I, I mean, in a good way, like, I don't care when they work, where they work, how much they work. Like, for me, it is about the results. But then, then at the same time, I, I do care. And what, what I mean by caring is like, for example, if someone is overworked, I do care. So <laughs> that, that doesn't mean that. But like, all in all, as you mentioned, it's, you know, quite easy to show the value of our work, both internally and for our customers. So from that point of view, kind of tracking hours doesn't make, make sense. But we actually did a quite interesting test during the last two months of last year, November and December, when we were, you know, figuring out where we are using our time. And, you know, the reason why we kind of did this experience was that, you know, based on our kind of calculations first, if it was like, hey, okay, our team should have more time for customers based on that, hey, okay, in average, it takes this many hours to do one placement and this is how many working hours each one have. But then for some reason, everyone was like, I'm busy, I'm busy. And then we were like, hey, it should mean that we are using time somewhere where we don't recognize that one. So actually for two months, we did this test, like everyone within the company, we had an Excel file and over there we tracked everything we did, like internally, everything we did with customers. And that was actually super, you know, interesting finding. And for him, what kind of things we noticed there was that we use a lot of time for internal things. And then, for example, we use a lot of times for, you know, small customer communication things like sending a weekly message or doing stuff like that. And then there was, you know, a lot of those 15 minutes tasks that kind of combined over and over again. And then eventually we found out that, hey, okay, it seems that we are actually doing or using more time for customer work we have been doing. So that is kind of what is going on in the time, time-wise. And then, you know, what comes to leading the company in the, in the remote first world, I think, you know, you mentioned what is happening in France and, you know, companies that went remote when COVID hit. I think over there, you know, most companies tried to take the same leadership models, same ways of leading the culture remote that used to be in the office. And that just doesn't work, I think. 
But for us, like, you know, everything that we do has been built remote first from the, you know, day number one. So, you know, we have those things like, of course, like some Monday meetings together. We have some kind of silent work time together where everyone just joins a Google Hangouts call and we, we just work, uh, do those <laughs> short list of candidates or contacting candidates. But kind of you are there together, work, work as a team. And then I think the last important thing is like, even though we are remote, you know, have some time together in person as well. For example, exactly one month from now, we are flying our whole team from Finland here to Gran Canaria. We have nice villa book, nice pool, nice jacuzzi, you know, one week of relaxation for the whole team. And I'm waiting forward for that one. Team is waiting forward for that one. So I think that's kind of how, how we approach it. Pretty cool. I'd like to get back to what you said about the time audit using the spreadsheet. We do this also. And you always learn super interesting things. Like some meetings are a time suck. Do we still want to be doing those meetings? And what we use for this is a company. So this is not sponsored in any way, but the product is pretty cool. It's called Toggle. It's spelled T-O-G-G-L. Do you know about them? <laughs> One fact, I was previously working as a head of sales in a marketing agency called Advanced B2B that helps SaaS companies in their marketing. And Toggle was... <laughs> our customers and I used to sell sell marketing services for them. <laughs> They're also strangely, and that's a quick parenthesis, but originally the product is built for time tracking. And then they built on top of this. And then at some point they built a product for recruiting called Tuckle Hire. I don't exactly know what they do, but it felt very, very like weird and far away from their core expertise. Anyway, so Toggle is pretty cool. And uh, and running a time audit, you just track your time for a week, ask everybody to do it. Can be intrusive, so you can you need to find a, a right way to do this, make it very clear that it's uh, just to improve the overall performance and just help everybody kind of make more money and be happier at work and have more budget to go on offsite together. But it's very, very important. And that connects back to also a concept that exists in sales. And I see that you're using a lot of those sales practices and we discussed them in our previous uh, episode on Town Bus together as well. The idea of revenue generating activity in sales, where you want to be focusing on revenue generating activity. And when you really look at it, sometimes you realize that only 20% of your time is actually focusing on revenue generating activity. And there's a lot of time wasted on tasks that won't generate any revenue, so they won't create any value most of the time. So you really have to be focusing on revenue generating activities and running a time audit is, a, is one way to do this. If we look at the Tan B kind of recipe, so let's first start with the client side. How did you sign your first clients? Uh, where did they come from? And how do you sign your clients now? Do you have any recipe to share here? Is there any experiment that you had that you were happy about or unexpected results? And what would you do differently today if you started Talent B from scratch again? So there's four questions. You don't have to reply to all of them, but that's the spirit. <laughs> clients. Yeah. So like first, first customers, they actually you know, became before we, you know, launched Talent B. We, we had the idea, we had kind of quit our day jobs and we had decided to launch Talent B in August, 2022. But during the spring of that year already before launching, you know, we did some preparation work and, you know, one of the things that we did, we wanted to, you know, do a few super small pilot projects. And there was basically like 
two reasons why we wanted to do those ones. First, you know, just to get feedback on our approach. But then secondly, and this is something that kind of I realized later, the, you know, big value of this one, but was to get customer references. And, you know, from those pilot projects, we got some good customer references that we've been able to utilize later a lot. So I think that is actually something that like I would focus even more in the in the beginning. I think, of course, it's nice to, you know, get some revenue from the first customers. But I think in the beginning, like if you can get some cool customers that agree to do reference stories with you, that really helps, especially, you know, if you are really focused and that is basically where we actually get to my next point. So how, how we are currently getting our customers. I think having super clear focus is really helping on that. One. So basically, like we say that we do talent acquisitions for fast growing SaaS companies, mainly in Nordics. If it's anything else, we won't help you. So, you know, having super narrow focus and that kind of helps a lot. And uh, basically how, you know, our customers are currently finding us is through inbound and referrals. So, you know, from day number one, we've been investing heavily on building a brand. I think there is, you know, few things that we have done there uh, successfully. First, uh, you know, regarding podcast, as you mentioned, the talent bus that we, we did the previous episode together, our episode will be actually number 50. So, you know, a lot of those episodes out already then I would say second one going to, you know, a lot of content on LinkedIn. I think in the early days, you should actually not only focus on building the company brand, but the founder brands as well. I think we were in the kind of fortunate situation in a way that, you know, I've done LinkedIn for five years already, you know, before launching Talent B and I had a quite okay following there. So that, that has been helping a lot. So, you know, really building a brand. And then I think, Thirdly, and this kind of ties back to the brand and the focus, but is kind of the referral game. So, you know, Nordics, SaaS companies, it is quite a small market in the end. And, you know, people do know each other and they do ask like, hey, do you know anyone that is good at this one? And then you make sure that your customers are happy. Like we are so far, you know, 17 months in, 100% of our customers have given us a reference permit for the work that we had done together. And, you know, that is a kind of snowball rolling. The more and more customers we get, the more there is, you know, happy people talking about us and all, all that. So that's the kind of main strategy for us. And now we are, you know, starting to test out outbound sales as well. And I must say it's been, <laughs> it's been harder than, than expected. But, you know, the reason why we're doing it is I think it's, not to have all the, you know, eggs in the same basket. We want to, you know, make sure that we have multiple, multiple ways of, you know, getting new customers. Yeah, but I like how you started by building the brand and the customer satisfaction before doing outbound, because that's definitely, we all get, even me, do get a ton of outbound for agencies and we are one and we sell to agencies. Like people clearly don't look at our, uh, at our product. So there is a lot of noise. And it feels like at least if you have good customer references, then it's easier to, it even helps for the outbound. You mentioned that you started doing small pilot projects. How did that work for the pricing? Did you charge for them or whether free or did you charge at a discount? I'd be curious to, to understand this. And then can you tell us more about how the pricing changed over time? Not only the pricing itself, 
but no, I also did should be the previews or previous two episodes with John Brooks about pricing for recruiting agencies. He's a pricing expert and we did a modern recruiter episode together on that point. And it was all about it's not only the price itself, but also the value, what you put in the bundle. So can you tell us a bit more about yeah, how pricing evolved and how did you price those first two small pilot projects? And then how did you um, uh, how did you change price over time? Yeah. So actually, first two pilot projects that we did was like, you know, super small ones. Basically, what we did is we helped two companies to do profile definition for the roles that were, they were looking for, like really kind of helping them to figure out what they what they need, what kind of person they need. And then we did a you know long list of people, basically, I think for both of them, like 20 names, like, hey, here are potential ones. And we didn't do even the contacting part for them, but that was kind of where we gave it over for them. Like, hey, here's some good people that you should be contacting. And then we gave them an option that, hey, we could, you know, help you with the contacting. But if you want to have that one, then that one would be kind of paid one. And then our third pilot, we did the same exact thing, but this time customer paid us 1,000 euros for the <laughs> small project. So those were the, you know, three small ones that we did before launching the company. So you mean they paid you... 1,000 euros for the list of 20 people or to reach out to those 20 people? No, it was the list and, you know, helping them to define the profile for them. Got it. Okay, cool. Um, but yeah, those were the pilot ones. Then, you know, actually August when launching the business, then I think the first project that we did, and that was, you know, full, full project all the way from, you know, defining the need to hiring the actual person. Over there, I think the first project was like 7,500 euros. And then, you know, if we look at the numbers right now, I think we are basically, if we are talking about one-off projects, we are not selling anything under 10K a project. And I think average is now roughly, you know, 12,000 euros for one-offs. But if we do multiples, then it might be a bit smaller. But I think then one of the biggest learnings, and I, I, I think this is something that I would do for sure the same way if I would, you know, start over again, is that you should try to build a business model that is recurring revenue business model. And, you know, for most recruitment agencies out there, you know, they do projects. And they are like, hey, let's do a head of sales project for you or a developer project for you or something like that. And let's not go super deep right now regarding, you know, why you should be doing actually kind of long-term nurturing, building talent pipelines, all that. If you want to hear more about that one, then maybe listen our previous episode on Talent Bus. But, you know, the idea was that, you know, we wanted to teach our customers that you should ditch the ad hoc way of doing recruitments and you should really start to do it long term. And, you know, our flagship service for our customers is actually talent acquisition as a service where we offer recruitment help, recruitment strategies, employer branding, and all of that on a monthly subscription. So it's a monthly subscription with two months notice period and you kind of buy it as a service. And you know, 70% of our revenue actually comes from that model and not from the project money. And I think that's an interesting one. And kind of what makes it interesting is like, if we now look for other recruitment agencies out there and let's say February starting and they don't have any revenue, they need to be selling, they need to start a new project in order to get the revenue. Like I already know that tomorrow or not tomorrow, in two days, uh, 1st of February, 
I can send invoices to our customer. I think our monthly recurring revenue right now is 48,000 a month. Like first day of February, I can send those invoices. They are ongoing customers that we work with. You know, of course with them, we do do those placements, but the model is a monthly subscription with a fixed fee rather than a placement-based fee. And I think that is a good idea, both for us, it makes the business predictable, but also for customers, like they get way, way better value for that one in the long term. Cost per hire goes down. They always have the same team working. They're never late with their recruitments. So I think, you know, pushing the business model to recurring revenue was, you know, one of the best things that we did. That's interesting. And that's definitely more valuable from a company perspective. If you want to sell the company at some point, recurring is, uh, makes it more valuable. How much do you charge for the subscription? What's the average price? So we have different kind of customers that I think smallest one where we do like only employer branding as a service, they are paying 3,150 euros per month. And then our biggest customer is paying roughly 13,000 per month. And so the average, if I count all the customers, I think the average is around seven to 8,000 per month. Okay, cool. That's that's pretty cool. And that's 70% of your revenue and then 30% of revenue coming from placement and the placement, the average is 10K, 12K per project. Is that a, um, is that a, like a percentage of the placement of the hire or is that a fixed fee that you decide together before launching the project? Yeah, typically we decided when launching the project together with customer. And this is actually quite interesting. It would be interesting to hear your, your thoughts on this, like, because I've been thinking a lot about like how to price those. Mm. At the same time, you, I like the simple model that it's like 20% of the yearly salary. Yeah. But then like the problem that I have with that one, let's imagine we have two SaaS companies, both of them similar size. They are looking for a head of sales similar qualifications, similar package, similar option program, everything is same. But the other company is willing to pay 200,000 a year and the other 150,000 a year. That would mean that our fee for the 200,000, let's say with 20% would be 40,000. And with the 150,000, it would be 30,000. Mm. And actually for the company that is paying less salary, the search will be harder one than from here. So that is the reason why I kind of don't like the idea of only going with the salary. There is basically nowadays kind of four things that we look when we, you know, give the exact pricing for customers. So first there is the, you know, not, not the salary, but the seniority of the role. Like, are we looking at junior salespeople or, you know, head of sales or CTO or something like that? So that's the number one. Then secondly, we are looking at the brand of the company. So, you know, if we are looking for a person for a well-known brand, it will be, you know, so much more easier for us than if it's a brand that no one knows or if it's a kind of negative brand. So that's the second thing. Then thirdly is regarding kind of what you are looking for and what you are offering. And basically what I mean by this is like, if there is some qualifications like this person needs to speak Finnish or they need to be located in Helsinki or, you know, they can be wherever they want in the European Union or English is only required. So kind of how big the talent pool is. That's the third one. And then fourth one is like, is this a completely new role or is this something that this company have hired earlier? And, you know, why is that is like, 
like if a company has hired, let's say 20 account executives, it is quite easy to hire the 21st one. But if they are looking for the first integration engineer for their team and they have like no idea what they are looking for, it takes so much time to define the profile. You might need to go through multiple rounds because they change their mindset on what they actually need. So those are the you know four things that kind of affect on the on the pricing of the things. I like this. Like again, pricing. Listen to our episode with uh, with John Brooks. It's uh, it's uh, thirty five minutes something like this just on the topic of pricing for recruiting agencies, and it's not only about pricing, but it's about value, as you say you should charge more a company that has a poor brand but because you're creating more value for them if you manage to to hire that person. So yeah, I like how you think about this. And I also like how you've been able to create uh, recurring revenue. The only worry that I have listening to you is it feels like if I were to implement this at HireSuite, it feels like it's a lot of work and it's a lot of variations, like the placement fee plus the subscription. The placement fee, there is four components in the fee. And the subscriptions, there are also different components with the uh, the smaller uh, customers paying about 300 per uh, 3,000 per month and the biggest paying 13, so uh, four times as much. How do you balance that complexity and like all those different, not only pricing models, but also value propositions because the value proposition is different. And how does that work for you? And then how do you look at the numbers and especially profitability and be like, okay, this is, if we go back to revenue generating activity, how do you know that this is very profitable? This is not, you should be focusing on this. You should increase the price there. How do you do this? Yeah. So kind of maybe one, one thing to share uh, and quite, quite interesting feedback from you because I, I haven't <laughs> realized that someone might understand it that way. So none of our customers buys both of those services. So it's either a subscription or one of projects. So never the both. And basically, you know, for example, for our ongoing customers, you know, they know that they pay the, let's say, 8,000 euros per month, and they pay the same exact 8,000 euros every month, whether we do five placements or zero placements. So it's a fixed fee, monthly subscription. And, you know, that model is more based on the you know, hours that our recruiters are working, kind of the allocation of that one. But of course, you know, we don't do long contract with our customer. It is ongoing contracts. So we need to be able to provide value for our customers. That is kind of why they why they stay as as customers. But then, you know, balancing between them, you know, profitability, that is hard. I think what we've been seeing so far is, you know, the ones where we do projects, like, hey, let's do this one recruitment as a project. Those are typically the most profitable ones. If you only look at the use hours for the project and the actual money that is coming in from the project. But then there's kind of two things why I'm not a big fan of the project business. I, I think we always need to have a little bit of that one, but there's two, two reasons why I'm not a fan of that one. First comes to, you know, really kind of predicting what is going to happen, like recurring revenue. It's very nice because I, I know that we will have the same revenue next month, the month after that one. Of course, there might be a customer churn, but still like majority of that uh, business is still still coming in. So predictable part is, the I would say, the most important part. But then I think a thing that everyone doesn't realize is that you should be counting the hours that you need to use for selling those mm -hmm. projects. 
And then kind of when you calculate the fact that actually when you're selling projects, you need a salesperson, you need a lot of hours there. Then kind of if you add those hours, then you can see actually that the you know profitability of the projects goes goes down a bit. So I think for us it's the it's the balance and then of course, like I think still most of our ongoing customers, they have come in through one approach, just kind of doing that one as a pilot, seeing how things work. And then, you know, if they're happy with that one, then they typically move on the, you know, subscription model. How do you think about profitability? I guess most of your costs are employee costs. Do you have a multiple like employees should bring in 3x or 5x their revenue? How do you think about that? And what are the numbers that you could share about, uh, about B today? Like, first of all, I think the big question is like, does company needs to be profitable or should you focus on growing? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think that's like the first first decision that you are you are doing. I think employees should be profitable, but should the company be profitable? In our case, like right now we are, you know, basically investing everything back to the company mm-hmm. and focusing more on growth rather than making profit in a company level. That's an, of course, different thing, but maybe just good to understand. But, you know, then when we go to, you know, employee level, that is something that we are super open with our employees, like everyone working with us. And also, you know, during recruitment process, like we talk super openly about that one. And, you know, what I see when it comes to salaries is that I don't believe that you should pay someone more just because they are senior. I think, you know, the salaries should be somehow based on the value that they are bringing in for the company. And we, of course, have, you know, different kind of values. We have the invoicing that they are bringing in from the customers. We are value that they are bringing in if they are selling to new customers or current customers. We have people who are, let's say, developing processes and from there making things a lot more efficient. And that's valuable. It's valuable to be a good colleague for your team members if because of that one they enjoy they perform better they stay for longer so there's you know a lot of things are are valuable but basically how how we have built the you know, salary system is basically that our i'm not sure if base salary is a good term i maybe rather use fixed salary so you know our fixed salary for a person you know every time someone starts we you know set up a fixed salary I would say if we are looking at the, you know, media recruiter in the Finnish market, for example, for example, our Sami is getting paid currently, the fixed salary is 3,700 a month. So a bit, I think it's around like 45 a year. So if you want to compare with the US, you probably have like 40% taxes on top of this. So that's probably all in cost for the company, about 70,000 per year. Would that be right? Yeah. Yeah. Roughly, roughly. And, you know, how, how we then, you know, share with our people, like what is basically their kind of invoicing goal for the customers. It's basically the, if we look at the monthly salary, let's use 4,000 as an example, a simple number. So if a monthly salary is 4,000 euros, their invoicing goal is the monthly salary times two plus 3,000 euros. And basically, you know, where the math behind that one comes is like one 4,000 is for the salary Second 4,000 is basically all the side cost. And there, you know, we have tax, we have the healthcare, we have, you know, running our sales and marketing, our bookkeeping, our lawyer, yeah. working stuff, like, you know, everything like that. So 4,000 salary, 4,000 side cost. And then the 3,000 is basically the, you know, profitability part for the business. 
And that is something we talk super open with our people. They do understand that, hey, the reason why you have a business is, you know, in the long term, make profit or grow it and sell it. Like everyone knows it. We, we talk super openly about our exit goal as, as well. We are building something that we can sell in five years and really going towards that one. And then, you know, coming back to that 3000 euros profit per person, then I think that's the other kind of decision you can make as a business owner. Do you want to have that one as a profit? Or do I want to reinvest that one into more sales and marketing, hiring more people or where we want to use that one? And for example, for us, like we are mainly investing uh, those profits. Nice. Interesting. Okay. We do something very similar on the on the target. We are at 1.5 times the salary plus taxes so we we kind of fall back into those uh for you it's going to be like 2.6 2.7 times the salary maybe and uh, probably about the same for us okay cool uh very 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 interesting and can you so you're probably reinvesting everything in the company now how much revenue did you make over the last 12 months for instance can you give us an order of magnitude yeah, so basically from the from the beginning that we launched the business, so last 17 months we've done, we are just like now on, <laughs> on the beginning of February when I send next invoices, then we are basically hitting half a million. Congrats. Our first fiscal year was 450,000. And I think at the same time, you know, I, I wish it would be bigger, but then at the same time, you know, we didn't have, you know, ready customers in a way that, you know, maybe someone who's coming from other recruitment agency and it's, establishing own that there would be, you know, customers from the day number one. So we, I think, you know, the first autumn, first four months, we did like, you know, 25,000 in revenue and, you know, really focusing on building the brand, building the baseline. But now it's on a good, good level. And for example, February, we are now making, I think, 60 to 70,000 euros a month. So that's kind of the level where we are right now. It's growing. Would be happy to grow it even faster, but I, I think it's always, you know, running a business, you always like, oh, it could go a bit better. But I'm happy with that, with with what we have achieved, especially, you know, in this market situation where more most agencies are struggling and, you know, laying off people. Yeah, most, the worst market in a decade, and you're still doing half a million during the first year, and uh, 70% of that is, is recurring. It feels like a pretty good success to me. That would be like the, the comparable would probably be, be twice as much in USDs. If you were based in the US, like that would probably be above a million. So uh, that's that's pretty cool. And and remaining profitable as well. And being also able to live where you want, to have the liberty that you want. And uh, so that's a, that's a pretty cool success. Well, congrats. Uh, we'll keep an eye out for you. Uh, we'll keep cheering for uh, Talent B. We'll remember to leave reviews on your podcasts, Talent Buzz. We'll remember to listen to our conversation together on your podcast, Talent Buzz. And also, obviously, uh, leave reviews on Hire Suite and on the Modern Recruiters podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. So thanks a lot, uh, Samuli. Any final words, anything, any final advice or things that you want to share about uh, your experience, something you would do differently or advice for people listening to us and we want to go through the same journey as you? Yeah, it's a good, good question. And thank you for the great, great discussion. I think the you know, biggest one for me during the during that time has been actually two things. Like, first of all, you know, recruitment agency, wherever you work, it's a very saturated market. Mm -hmm. So, you know, really focus on finding your kind of positioning over there. 
And then I would say, secondly, it's it's about people that you you hire, the people you bring in within your team. You know, especially in the beginning, it's <laughs> it, it's very hard. Uh, so you know, you need good people <laughs> by your side. So I think choosing your co-founders and your first employees wisely, it's it's a good good thing to do. <laughs> yeah, I can relate. Thanks a lot, Samuel. Have a great day, and uh, and we'll stay in touch. Thank you. You too. Hey there, this is Robert. Most of our listeners come from word of mouth. So thanks a lot for your support. And if you enjoy the players, please keep on sharing it with your team and friends. Stay tuned for the next episode. And if you can't wait, follow me on LinkedIn for more content on recruiting. Talk to you next week.